On average, a therapist sees 25 clients per week with acquired brain injuries. However, a traditional recovery program will only help you compensate for new physical and cognitive challenges you face. What if you're able to do more than just compensate in your recovery? Introducing ABI Wellness's groundbreaking platform, BEARS, Brain Enhance and Recovery System, designed to help you overcome your challenges through proprietary capacity building and neuroplasticity programming. Plus, your progress is digitally tracked every step with a return to work rate that is 37% higher than some traditional recovery programs and significant improvements in quality of life. There is a growing demand for our BEARS platform among people with acquired brain injuries. Find the nearest certified provider. Learn more by visiting abiwellness.com forward slash BEARS. Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we are rolling live on Facebook, Instagram. No, we're not on Instagram. Why did I even say that? I'm a Damn liar. Facebook and on uh, LinkedIn. And today on the show, we are covering a topic that I've only touched superficially. So, so happy to have Mark Watson with ABI Wellness on the show to talk about what an ABI is and what a TBI is and all these damned acronyms. Mark, thanks for being here, brother. Uh, it's uh, it's my pleasure and I'm um, looking forward to digging into it with you. Well, let's just start with uh, the simple stuff because I've never heard of it. Like 155 episodes, been down this road for uh, the last five years, and I've never heard of the term ABI. Is that just another way to say TBI? Uh, I actually know it's not. I mean, they're obviously related, but uh, ABI stands for acquired brain injury and a traumatic traumatic brain injury. Uh, ABI would be at the top, inclusive of all kinds of injuries. So a stroke could be in there, a traumatic brain injury, a concussion. They're all an acquired brain injury, uh, but those happen to be an event or or trauma and therefore a traumatic brain injury. So a concussion would be a TBI, but a stroke would not be a TBI, but both are ABI. Make sense? (laughs) Sort of. So ABI is the overarching term. 100%. 100%. And yeah. uh, all, all brain injuries are, are typically acquired and lesser in, in utero. Do you consider PTSD to be an ABI? Great question. Uh, and yes, we it is. Into that. I'm we, awesome at we this. Should ha- <laughs> we, should have, we should have a discussion about it because oftentimes PTSD can, can be re- a result, obviously, of a traumatic event, which can include uh, trauma, head trauma. So okay. oftentimes they're interrelated, yeah. All right. So you're talking about... Um, uh, with a TBI and PTSD, that correlation. But what I'm talking about is, uh, and I've said it on the show about a million times, is that PTSD is not a disorder, so they should really scrap the D and throw an I on the end of it. I've called it an injury, neurologists to call it an injury, because mm-hmm. you can actually stick somebody in um, in an MRI and say, oh, yep, that dude's got PTSD for sure, because mm-hmm. uh, of the neural pathways to the amygdala. Uh, yeah. So from that perspective, um, does it qualify as an ABI? I mean, I think 
I'm not necessarily the right person to, to tell you that one for sure. Um, but I think that I'm a much more of a focused results type person. So how okay. maybe I could help for context if it's useful, uh, people to understand how I ended up in this work. Cause I'm not a medical doctor. Uh, I'm not going to diagnose uh, a TBI, but I was very curious about treatment is <laughs> there seem to be a lot of neurologists out there doing great work, trying to diagnose um, various conditions using, uh, you know, a wide battery of assessments. But what I was concerned about and our team was quite concerned about was, okay, if we already kind of know that this, this fellow has some serious cognitive issue, yeah, we've run assessments, but before we came in, we already knew there was a problem. Now what are we going to do about this problem? And that was, the, that was what we were really focused on. So, you know, for context, for my background, my background is a little bit in, we use this term loosely, uh, Mark, uh, an athlete, but um, you know, I, I played uh, in high school and collegiately. I played football, and uh, and I suffered multiple concussions, like many. Uh, and and when I after I was diagnosed with a concussion, uh, I was told to take it slow and easy, and that was very much unlike when I tore my ACL or my rotator cuff. All the rehabilitation was very active, focused, targeted. It made sense to me, right? Let's figure it out. Let's get to the root. Let's nail this thing. Let's, let's give really good rehab. And on the cognitive side, it was totally different on the brain injury side. It was like, take it slow, dark room, take some drugs. <laughs> this is what we're doing. It just didn't make sense to me. So what, what were given, some of the experience or some of the symptoms and signs that you were experiencing from having concussions? Well, in football, in the old, in the old days, uh, you know, this great this beard is looking quite gray um in the old days it was you know walk it off smelling salt right like just get back up and uh you know get after it and it was almost seen as a funny thing right you got hit in the head and you were kind of walking around funny it was like hilarious right people didn't know a lot about the brain at that time when in reality there's nothing funny about that whatsoever that's a very serious event and um you know for me i i got hit in the back of the head and went to get up and fell back down. And, and I went to get back up again. And in football, like in, in many things, um, you know, in, in the work that, that our, our military, football is nothing compared to what, what, what you know, the military are, are doing. Um, you know, it was get back up. And the trainer took my helmet and said, no, you're not going back in. And I was like, what do you mean I'm not going back in? I'm fine. And, and there, there's the problem, right? You got one eye looking I'm, one way, the other eyes looking the other way. I'm good. I'm good. No, I, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're clearly not fine, dude. A little bit of blood and, coming uh, out your ear. No, I'm good. Oh, and, and, uh, and you lie to yourself, right? Yeah. And so many people in this sport, you're lying to yourself. And uh, so she took my helmet away and, uh, and I never put a helmet on again. And that was a, a lot of my identity was locked up into that sport. And, uh, and that began my journey of a lot of self-improvement, a lot of real honest conversations, looking at myself in the mirror saying, who am I? And, you know, ultimately what, what ended up happening was I realized football I loved. Yes, football I, I absolutely loved. But what I loved was the teamwork of the sport, more so than getting hit. <laughs> and, uh, and ended up coaching and then ultimately working into education. And then ultimately having the opportunity to work in the field of neuroplasticity. Um, for education, which is, I, you know, something I'm sure is re- when we talk about PTSD, it's a term that's used quite a bit. Uh, so what was, what was your first step into that world? I mean, uh, without having the degrees and all that that are relevant yeah. to it, how did you uh, make that leap? 
Wonderful question. Um, I, I think a lot of people spend time thinking about things and less time doing things. And I've had mentors who are doers, um, both of them. Two of my greatest mentors in this work are doers. And yeah, they've done the academic work as well, but they're really focused on action and getting things done, taking that first step. And so what I did was I finished up my degree at University of Alberta. I came back with a new focus and my focus was to become a PE teacher. That was the big goal. And, uh, and ended up, um, you know, completing that and then ultimately working on the education side because I had a lot of courses in education. So I was doing curriculum training um, for kids with learning disabilities because I'm right. also, dyslex- also dyslexic. So I had the opportunity to travel and, and do some of that work. And uh, over time, just understanding that so many uh, kids with learning disabilities just aren't getting um, real honest feedback either. It was like, you have dyslexia, so you're going to be great. You're going to be like Tom Cruise. You know, you're, you're going to be like Charles Schwab. You're going to be like Richard Branson. But the reality is that those are outliers, as Malcolm Gladwell talks a lot in his work. And there's always outliers. Yeah, and, the exception, not the rule. 100%. But the, what's the reality? You know, a lot of people with learning disabilities struggle. A lot of people with learning disabilities are unemployed. A lot of people with learning disabilities have significant mental health issues. It's also a good example, though, that although uh, their hill may be higher and steeper, it's still climbable. Just got to oh, do more one, work. Hundred percent, because the resilient that re- resilience that's built early on in a lot of these kids, especially if they happen to have the advantage of a supportive family, um, you know, of course um, they can climb through those obstacles. And and people like a Richard Branson, like a Charles Schwab, clearly are are extremely intelligent. Um, just traditional school didn't necessarily meet their needs. But in my story, what I ended up doing is yes, I had that degree. Um, yes, I started working in education. Then I ended up taking a master's degree in education and educational leadership because I was always curious about leadership. I uh, became trained and certified as a cognitive teacher, working with kids with learning disabilities primarily. And then going back to, just for context, again, that functional rehab piece around, you know, when someone may, you know, tear an ACL, getting very specific about the rehabilitation, targeting the muscles, looking at function, and then trying to understand what the goal was. Was that all at well, U, all at the U of A? Your your bachelor's and your masters? I did. I did the bachelor's at U of A, and I actually did the masters at Trinity out okay. here in Langley. And uh, and that was really interesting. D- different different experience. The plan was to go to Royal Roads, but ended up staying a little bit closer, and ended up being a great experience. For me. I, I can really hear the pen clicking, Mark. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, it's okay. I've got, I got my I got my hand squeezy here. I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so we um, ended up ended up doing that and doing a lot of kind of um, studying and became trained as a as a cognitive uh, facilitator, uh, understanding how to do uh, kind of cognitive rehabilitation for people that have significant cognitive issues, uh, be it primarily from a learning disability, and ended up seeing uh, many children and young adults improve their underlying cognitive capacities by targeted rehabilitation. So actually and, increasing IQ. Well, uncre- increasing something that is the underpinnings of IQ. Roger that. So, so, so like fluid intelligence is a, is a great example of, of, of reasoning, okay, and processing speed. And that underpins a lot of intelligence that, that is typically measured here in the Western world. And we've typically... This is an important thing I want people to hear is typically 
if somebody has a traumatic brain injury, if somebody has a learning disability, we see uh, this as a fixed concept. It's that you've got what you've got, okay? It's kind of hardwired. If, if you're, Mark, if you have a serious issue with verbal processing or a fine motor skills, do something other than that doesn't involve those skills, okay? That's not your strength, but you've got other strength. Do something else. Well, that might be an option, but the truth is you can actually improve those areas as well if you choose to put in the work to do so. So you don't have to just play to your strengths. You can work on the weaknesses. 100%. Yeah, and and I think a lot of conventional wisdom suggests that that's not true. Well, no, that's not necessarily the case, especially with who I work with, primarily you know, kids who are, are functioning so far below the average range because of these cognitive deficits. They're getting kind of written off too early in a lot of cases without, without understanding that there may be other options that could also help. Is the work that you do also help with dementia? Well, I mean... I'll, I'll keep telling the story quickly because there's an important part. In oh, I story. apologize. Yeah, please do. No, 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 no need to apologize. Just for good for context for anyone that could be listening. Um, and clearly, I'm not that smart of a guy, okay? But, you know, I am resilient and I've had great mentors. You know, Howard Eaton and Barbara Aerosmith Young are two of them who are, are brilliant, brilliant educators and neuroplasticians. I was running, helping to run these schools with, with Howard and Barbara and was starting to see things that were was really interesting and being reported by Howard Eaton, who is a psychometrician, so somebody who's very good at assessing any kind of learning disability. Uh, and then Barbara Aerosmith Young founded uh, her own kind of program for improving cognitive function, and it was based on very solid neuroscience. However, not you know widely accepted like with anything new um, by most of the people in the space. And over the years, I was curious, I mean, to be full disclosure, when I came into the work, remember my experience with concussion was sit and wait, right? Um, And her approach was diagnose clearly and and then stimulate function in underperforming areas. Well, that made a lot of sense to me based on my experience in the physical rehab. And in fact, that made a heck of a lot more sense to me than the steer around the weaknesses uh, approach. And, and I think in a lot of medic, medical circles, that makes a lot of sense. So ultimately, long story short, what ended up happening was uh, we were at a, uh, a neuro rehab conference out at U of T and put on by uh, the university there. And we were hoping to see that in brain injury and in, in health in general, because again, at this point, I'm still only in the education side. And I was with both, both Howard and Barbara. And I was expecting to find a lot of really progressive, innovative research here, uh, you know, focusing on targeting underperforming areas. But what we found was a little bit of that, but we saw a lot more of, of still compensatory strategies saying, you know, accept you, your new limitations and let's steer around them. And, you know, that was frustrating to me because I was like, man, I've seen these families, I've seen these kids. We have to ask better questions, maybe. Maybe there's a way to do this differently, right? And let the research speak for itself. And we met a great team of researchers out at the University of British Columbia. And, uh, you know, my mentors and our team had a question. And these are, you know, what about people that at that time, once people, and this is true in, 
you know, in military circles as well. Once you're kind of 24 months post-injury, trauma, whatever the blast may have done in terms of, um, you know, actual brain injury, um, you're kind of left with what you got in month 25. So you got two years, okay? And that's what it was at that time, and that's like four or five years ago. Is that still and, it? Like if you don't get to it within the first 24 months, no, that's it? No, to- totally changing, which is wonderful. Uh, but at that time, that's what, what the literature was suggesting. And and I, again, I had the advantage of understanding a little bit more about what was going on clinically. And what was going on clinically was a lot of compensatory strategies. Well, how are you going to stimulate function? Like if we use the physical thing, if, if, we're, if we're looking at your gait and balance, okay, as, as, as a measurement we want to look at, but you're not doing anything to strengthen your gait and balance, and then after two years you're saying, how's your gait and balance? Come on. Like what gets measured gets done. So, and what gets focused on gets done. And you are what you repeatedly do. I just dropped Aristotle, okay? Uh, so, where, where focus uh, goes, energy flows. 100%. Some Wayne Dyer and on you there for quoting, quoting people. <laughs> I love it. 100%. So, you know, I had seen these individuals who had fought tooth and nail to find this small school here in Vancouver, BC. They, they had sacrificed hard for their kids, and their kids had put in the work to get a little bit better. And they not only got a little bit better, they got a lot better. And their cognitive capacities were improving. And that was great to see. But in brain injury, it was like, what the heck? Like, we had a lot of work to do. And I didn't think it was going to be us, right? I mean, I'm just a, a, a guy from, from, you know, Vancouver, BC here. Um, and, you know, but my mentors are big and, and amazing. And, you know, the, the you know, faculty of medicine at UBC was interested in studying it. Not not officially endorsing it, but just interested in the question. And they took on the research question, was, and that was, could people that are chronic, that have chronic cognitive symptoms following a mild traumatic brain injury, meaning like a concussion that isn't healing, and we see this a lot everywhere, um, can they potentially improve by engaging in our protocols? Okay? And initially, and I call this the Jerry Maguire moment, okay, and it's not show me the money. Um, it's help I had a me statement. help you. Yeah, exactly. No, it was I had a mission statement, <laughs> and this is where I have to get real personal and vulnerable. Is that while we were doing this, and I was burning out, I was working probably a little bit too hard. Um, I was finishing up graduate school, two young kids, thirty-seven years old, diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, and at that time, you know. My, my goal is not sit down and take it. My goal is get up and fight. Right. And, and so that's what I did. I had a great medical team who helped me out. I was so damn fortunate. The best family in the world, the best colleagues. I was lucky, man. I was fundraising for cancer research at that time, right before round five. I'm out there doing a workout for 16 hours, feeling like crap, but, you know, getting her done with a great group of people. And I got through it. And, and why did I get through it? Well, I had a remarkable team of people. I had more scans than I could we would ever want to count. Um, but I was lucky and, and people were focused on the problem that I was having. And then I would look at that and I'd go to brain injury. I go to PTSD. I go to trauma. I go to anything around that. And I go, Oh man, we got to do better. This isn't good enough. We're not going to yield the result if we're not putting resourcing into this. And that's what, uh, you know, really helped to inspire me to, to really get behind all of this. I'm sorry about the email in the background. Oh, didn't even notice. But, uh, uh, Mark, how did you, um, or better way of uh, asking, 
What's the work that you're doing with the military? Well, we're not doing anything currently with the military. We've had communications with them because what we're trying to do is to help provide better systems to help anyone who might have been through trauma. And a lot of those, of course, are individuals who have served um, either on homeland or overseas. Now you're talking and about like the actual physical brain trauma of a blast. Yes, uh, or the um, the resulting trauma. So one of the individuals, we talked a little bit about PTSD um, early on in this. Um, so one of the individuals we worked with at one of our clinics, um, he had a son who sadly uh, passed away due to um, Died by cancer. suicide? Oh, uh, no, it wasn't. It was, it was an illness. Okay. And it just, it just turned him into a different, what appeared to be a different person. It completely changed his personality to completely flat. And what we do with our work is we stimulate cognition, right? So we blend aerobic exercise, mindfulness meditation, very specific cognitive exercises and cognitive regions. And then we look to track and measure the overall activities of daily living and quality of life. So is we this, do this in a, are you describing bears? Yeah, this is what bears is, is we've kind of taken what research is saying makes a lot of sense, put it in the Vitamix, Right blended it and said, okay, here you go. And so let's optimize our for, time. For the audience, BEARS is an acronym. Of, um, but I, could you tell us what uh, the acronym stands for? Yeah, it's, it's Brain Enhance and Recovery System and is, is what it stands for. Now, you have a training system for BEARS. Can anybody Correct. learn this? Uh, at this time, no. Our hope is in the future, yes, because uh, we're trying to shift the standard of care. Uh, but at this time, we work primarily with healthcare systems. We work with private clinics, not-for-profits, charities that work in the space. Um, we're trying to help uh, really anybody who works in this space professionally and are struggling to treat this population to have another option, to have another kind of uh, system that can help those that aren't responding to more conventional treatments that are presenting with cognitive issues. Because typically what you do I mean, I'm talking so much, but typically what happens is people that might present with these cognitive issues are, are given, and this is a big you know, uh, word for me, the big no-no word, is they're given strategies, right? Okay. They're given coping strategies. And not that that isn't needed at times, but let's exhaust the brain's potential for change prior to going down that road. And that's my big thing. That's our big thing. I'm going to ask you, and is a bit of a, um, it's okay, off the cuff question, but uh, I was wondering about mefloquine poisoning, which creates brain injury. Is yeah. anything that you're doing related to that, or is there any correlation or research that you know of? Definitely, definitely, there is. So, uh, toxin exposure can, um, like uh, an example, is fentanyl. Okay, so. Um, Many people who sadly have that sort of an overdose can have something called an anoxic acquired brain injury, which means oxygen deprived. Okay. And when that's done for a certain amount of time, that can cause significant brain damage. Well, currently, what the standard of care is in many cases is to just treat that with like methadone, that kind of thing. Okay. Once you're post acute and then just kind of deal with it. Well, one of the individuals we worked with, uh, amazing family. Um, sadly had had overdosed and her activities of daily living was to go walk to the clinic come back couldn't be left alone had to be supervised because of the the significant amount of brain damage and what we did was we worked with her she worked on herself 
And she improved quite a bit um, by really focusing on trying to re-engage and improve those those damaged areas as much as possible. So it would depend. We, you know, I would need to learn more about this and, you know, it'd be good to talk with different medical professionals and see um, because I, I'd want to better understand, you know, what were the actual resulting benefits or not benefits, but impairments long-term of this exposure. Well, if you want to do a trial, Mark, just let me know and I can uh, throw some methicone poison people at you. Uh, throw them yeah. through, throw them through the bears protocol and uh, see what happens on the other we end. Should, yeah. We should talk about that. Cause what we would need is also clinical staff, which I'm sure we could find. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I'm sure we could find that our, our job is to serve, like to serve in the way that we can, the small way that we can. Well, I've seen provide the, this platform. I've, I've seen the down, downstream effects of methylene poisoning and it's just horrendous. Um, what it does to a person cognitively is <laughs> disturbing. And uh, so far, there is no help for it. Um, are you familiar with Dr. Bonnie Kaplan? Uh, vague. I think I've heard the name, but there's a lot of Kaplans out there. Why don't you? you her, uh, her, book, uh, her book is The Better Brain. And uh, she's been a guest on the show. Uh, I think okay. there is a relationship there for you to be, to be had within okay. your network. Great. Uh, so she's professor emeritus at, uh, U of C and, um, the better brain book just came out. It's doing really well. It's all about micronutrients, um, to improve cognition. Nice. Okay. So there might be a, might be a nice hand in glove there. Bit of a fit. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I, and I will reach out. I mean, that's the thing on the nutrition side. I'm so excited. I'm so optimistic because I actually do think. I mean, obviously, changing behavior is very hard for all of us. It takes time. Uh, but there is, I have such a high degree of optimism that with the amount of education going into nutrition right now um, and, and the amount of interest that, that I feel very optimistic about, about the future. still so much, so much uh, pushback. I just had a psychiatrist on the show, the show that didn't air because I had an audio issue that we didn't know until after the show. It's like, oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> well, it was a oh, nice no. conversation. I guess we're the only two that will ever hear it. <laughs> but but um, he was really pushing back. Oh, all you need is a proper diet. I'm like, that's not what the science says, dude. And you're a psychiatrist. You should know this. But yeah. it's it's the long-standing uh, idea that, like from Harvard, that nah, nutrition, it's all gobbledygook and snake oil. Uh, no, 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 that's not true. Um, and, you know, you, you all you have to do, it, it's just not that easy either. It's not just nutrition, okay? It, it, it's lifestyle. It's now... If we have ourselves, we're talking about mental health. If you have yourself in a in a med- in a mental loop, you can't get out of. You're going to need support with that. That's not easy, um, especially when it's when it's around a traumatic event. And that's where psychiatry's done a lot of really interesting work around neuroplasticity and changing thoughts. You know, there's a book actually that I'd love to recommend if it's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, who's someone that I respect greatly? He's a psychiatrist. Uh, Dr. Rick Hansen, I love the man in motion too. I volunteered in university there, but this is a different guy. He's in Northern California. And he, he wrote a really good book called Hardwiring Happiness. Okay, Hardwiring Happiness. And, and what he does a really nice job of is he's a, he's a psychiatrist um, and neurologist, I believe. And what he does a really good job of at the start of the book is talking about the human hardwired negativity 
bias. Okay. And, and I think it's a very good thing for all of us to really kind of better understand, but also understand that it's something that we can hardwire out of too. When you understand how the brain works at a, at a kind of neurological level, it's it, he he does such a wonderful job, and you can even just check on his TED talks if you're if you're not as much of a reader or you only got an hour. There there's a lot of free ones out there on YouTube. Um, again, Harvard trained, uh, bright guy, but really about helping helping people to understand how to start to uh, move towards positive change. I love it. Um, I want to swing back to uh, blast injuries for veterans. So, yeah. and I can still hear that pen clicking, Mark. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm, I've moved it. I've moved it. If I was there, I'd smack your hands. <laughs> and, and you should. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, so there's uh, studies that have come out recently uh, about just the firing of weapons that creates blast injuries, whether you be artillery fight, firing the big guns, which would be kind of obvious, but uh, the Carl Gustav 84-millimeter rocket launcher, frickin' boom. We all joke about the, um, the mm. concussion from it. It's yeah. unbelievable. Um, it creates a vacuum around you, which sucks all the snot out of you. And then, then that uh, vacuum gets filled up with air, and then it feels like you did a belly flop off a, a three-meter board. It's it's unbelievable. Beats the snot out of you. And what do you know? <laughs> they can cause uh, TBIs. Um, so uh, are you aware of uh, blast injury stuff from just firing the rocket launchers and stuff like that? Have you heard anything about that? I, I've, I've heard about it. Um, the, the thing that I think we all have to understand is that, you know, in the work that I've been a part of is if you've seen one brain injury, you've only seen one brain injury. Mm. You know, every brain is different. And that's what's so incredibly challenging about it is that uh, some, you know, people just, you know, it could take one hit. Other people, you know, they might be a little bit more resilient. We don't necessarily know why, or this is more likely maybe they're underreporting um, the symptoms because they want to get back out there or do whatever, or they're just used to bringing in their ears all day long. Um, and it's become the new normal. Uh, you know, what do we then, I'm much more interested in, like, I, I, I struggle hearing all of this um, because there's so many people out there suffering right now. But what I want people to understand is, yes, obviously that's a problem. Um, people that are in, you know, litigation following a, a, a TBI from a car accident also have a problem. People who fell or got punched in an assault or in a fight and are struggling, also a problem. People who had a tumor removed from their brain because of uh, a glioblastoma also have a problem. My big question is, once you've identified the problem and assessed it seven different ways, what are you going to do about it? That's my big question. Can you see so we've identified the problem. What can, are we going to do about it? Can you prove that it's a problem? Uh, like, can you prove a TBI? Or, or, is it, is it only, is there, or is it only through diagnosis that you guess that there's a TBI? Like, can you put somebody in an MRI machine and, and go, yep, there's the traumatic brain injury? Well, it depends on, on the severity of the TBI. You know, why we might do the CT scan or the MRI, and these are great medical professionals out there, out there is we want to rule out some of the most severe stuff, like a bleed, right? We got to make sure that we're eliminating some of those things, like a hemorrhage or something in the brain. That's very serious stuff um, and needs to be addressed. 
And I actually believe I'm actually, again, extremely optimistic about the future because there's a lot going into the diagnostics of, of measuring um, TBI. And they, you know, there's blood tests now that are coming out that are going to be more available. There are wearable technologies like EEGs that, that are able to um, that, you know, detect abnormalities uh, that might uh, be, you know, related to traumatic brain injury. There's companies here just in British Columbia and in Canada that are doing really remarkable scalable work on, on portable EEG that are things that could be available at your doctor's office that could reliably um, assess uh, electrical activity in conjunction with neuropsychological activity. Because I think you need both. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to just have one. So uh, because are we talking about uh, something that in some way replaces the halter, um, uh, the halter monitor? Uh, yeah, w- with more of a focus, obviously, on, you know, a, more specificity around, around the brain and more scalable. Um, because it, it, it can be very hard and challenging. We have to also have, to understand the other side, we also have to have a, a level of respect and understanding for those physicians trying to get a good read on how your brain is doing because they may, they don't necessarily, they don't usually have a baseline of how healthy Mark was before the injury. So how do they know if maybe your brain, maybe your waves have always been off your whole life. Maybe you have a significant learning disability, you know, maybe there's something else going on. So, so the, these folks have to, you know, oftentimes are presented with this individual without a lot of context, without a lot of baseline information, especially around the brain. And that's why I am so excited about the future because I'm seeing a ton going on right now on the assessment side and looking for really um, reliable, valid, um, you know, uh, measurement information of the brain at, at, you know, resting state. So that, that's very exciting um, because it, and it's going to be coming. Uh, but again, what do we do right now? Right. So that's great to hear, but that takes a lot of time and a lot of research dollars um, to go are going into it. But there are companies here that are that are doing that. And it's great to see. Um, and, and that's scaling all across. That's everywhere. Uh, but again, for me, where I'm curious is, yeah, we're probably going to find a lot of issues. Uh, but what are we going to do about those issues? How are we going to treat them? So are there any new projects for ABI Wellness? You got anything new in the hopper? Oh, I mean, all the time. Uh, you know, probably too much if you ask our team. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're, we started this company, um, you know, Howard Eaton, uh, myself, big mentor of mine, um, you know, and, and, a, and a few colleagues and Barbara Aerosmith-Young uh, out of... Um, an unmet need out there. There were these people with brain injuries that were not getting even the opportunity to get a little bit better. And I'm going to share a quick story with you because I think it's, I think it's very contextually relevant. When I was helping out on the education side and working with a great team of individuals at one of our campuses, uh, because we we ended up growing that, that those schools and, you know, we wanted to work in conjunction very well with, with, you know, diagnosticians, you know, uh, psychometricians, psychiatrists, psychologists. And there was one particular psychologist, I won't name her uh, today, uh, but she was somebody who had done a lot of pre and post psych ed assessments. Now for context, 
why you would do a psych ed assessment in, in Canada here is that in order to get the accommodations one might need, uh, if, if you have dyslexia, you need a psychoeducational assessment stating from a trained professional that you have a learning disability. And therefore, the district or private school can give you the resources that you need. Okay. Now, I mean, this story, it translates into every different field. That's why I'm sharing it. I went to meet with this, this person and um, it was later in the day and she was gracious enough to meet with me. And I was wondering why the referrals weren't kind of coming in because she had already seen great effect um, from, from firsthand from pre and post psych ed assessment, keeping in mind, here's the thing, keeping in mind, typically the cognitive capacities, the attention, the memory, the planning, the organizational skills of this population typically do not improve. The gap between academic performance and cognition typically continues to widen as age norms grow, right? That makes sense, right? So what we were seeing was gaps closing and even some kids not no longer testing as learning disabled because that gap clo- closed, right? So that's wonderful to see for that kid, that family. That's just cool. And if that was the goal, that's great. But this woman had told us kind of that, you know, I went to meet with her. I was just curious. I'm like, you know, are you still seeing any positive effect? How's it going? You know, thank you for your communication. And she sat down with me and we had this conversation. We got all the niceties out of the way. And I said, how's it going? Like, how's our, how's the school doing? How are we doing for the community? And she said, you know what? You have a nice program. And I said, oh, that's great to hear. Thank you for, but what do we need to do better? You know, how does it work? Well, you're too expensive. And I went, well, it's a private entity and it's not yet government funded. So that would make sense. It take a significant investment. To, we, we know that. Uh, we're doing the best we can, but we know that. And, and then she said, but yeah, you know, the outcomes are pretty good. And I said, well, what happens then? It's good learning for us. So when you get to the end of your assessment and you show them what you found, you know, how do they respond when you mention that it is a significant investment, but, you know, um, you know, it's not yet publicly funded, but it's, it's an option. I don't mention it because it's too expensive. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Um, so do you feel like it's your place to not mention something that could actually be helpful? for that individual. Do you think that's like within your, like, do you think you should be doing that? She went ghost white, Mark, ghost white. Cause where did my mind go? What if when I was sick, a doctor didn't say there was a trial. Yeah. And because you live in Surrey and you have to drive to Vancouver, I, my judgment is that that might be a little too far for you to drive. So I'm not even going to tell you. No, that's wrong. It's the own, their own personal biases. I used, I, used to be a, I used to be a sales trainer, and when somebody says too expensive, what they really mean is they don't uh, see the value. Because there's no such thing, you know, if it's like, hey, give me a million dollars, you're going to be dead of cancer in the next three days, or you give me a million dollars and I'll give you this magic pill. You'll find the million dollars, you know, and um, it's what's the value? A hundred percent. And, and, but again, do you even, you didn't even give that family an op. Think about how the life of that child could have been different. I don't know what that would be worth to the child and the family. I have no clue. Yeah. No clue. And it's not for me. It's up to me to just present the information. <laughs> That's all. And then it, it, like, I can't control what other people are doing. That's silly. Uh, but what you can do is try to do your best within your, within your lane. 
And, and that was a great example for me of, of, you know, not recognizing one's own biases. Well, most people don't. Uh, of course. One of the things I've learned, the gift of therapy and being on this PTSD road is that it provides extraordinary levels of self-awareness, which causes its own problems. But because um, everybody thinks that they, they are self-aware. If they do a psychometric test and it comes up, oh, you're about 68% self-aware. Screw that. I'm self-aware. <laughs> you know, people get their uh, uh, knickers in a knot. Uh, if it sounds like an insult, but the truth is most people simply are not, uh, they are not self-aware. They're not aware of how they affect others and they're not a- aware of what's going on with themselves, uh, within their own body, the energy that they hold or what they project out. They just don't know. And it takes a lot of work to create that self-awareness. But Mark, what's next for ABI wellness? I mean, where we started was, as I said, you know, the Jerry Maguire moment, I remember sitting there with this group of really, really bright people who I respect greatly to this day. And when I sat down with them, Mark, it was, I said, now keeping in mind, I'm coming off of my own personal journey. I'm one month in remission. So I'm like, the light, the world is beautiful, right? Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's flowers everywhere and everything's great. Burgessing. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. And I go in there and, and I said, you know, we're going to, why don't we look at this research project for people with, with concussion, brain injury, two, two years post. And they're kind of looking at me across that. They're going, Watson, dude, these people struggle with attention, memory planning, and problem solving. They're not going to come to UBC on the other side of Vancouver every day. And I looked at them dead in the eyes, and I'm so proud of myself in this moment because I was terrified. And I said to these guys, because these are all great people, but, you know, like they're very intelligent. And, and, and I said, but, like, how do we know they want to be able to engage in this? Like, like inquiry, this building's built on inquiry. Like we should test it, right? Should we test it? And I'm thinking about the clinical trial that I was in for my own stuff. I'm like, someone was courageous enough to say, why don't we try? Why don't we see what could happen? And to the credit of, of that, you, I'll always love UBC, um, you know, remarkable group of, of scientists over there uh, and passionate people wanting to do good, but with, you know, structure and no bias, you know, you know, uh, respecting their own biases. Uh, we did the trial. People showed up. Okay. Remember people were worried. Are people with these, these issues going to be able to engage, right? Are they going to, are they going to drive to UBC? People were busing two hours each way. Okay. The engagement rate was 95% across the study, 95%. And people were saying, I don't know if these people are going to show up. I think every human wants the opportunity to try. They do the, every opportunity within possible deserves an option to try what might happen. That's up to the individual in the program, but let's give options. So we started there. It started with research. Then we started a not-for-profit because why not <laughs> um, to help the community. And we called that the Watson center society for brain health. And we started it just because we wanted to help. And we thought one day we'd name it something good. Uh, we never got around to it. Um, and then we started uh, offering the program around, uh, you know, to different uh, communities uh, that, that were in need of a system to help this population. And we, I'm very proud we've grown that up to 13 locations now. And we're only going to grow. And, and we want to, it's all rooted in service. It's all rooted in, in good research, trying to understand and have effect, which we can measure, um, not just cognitively, but overall quality of life. We're looking for ways to help 
those populations and you and I, Mark, should talk after about the population you're talking about and about how we could put something together maybe because um, we have had some conversations um, with with the you know Canadian military and, and maybe we should re-engage them because uh, I want to help. Uh, our team really wants to help and serve. So um, we're just going to keep growing. We're going to keep a keen eye on results and outcomes and research. And um, and we'll always appreciate any level of support, even if it's just words of encouragement. You know, keep it up. Keep going. Keep fighting the good fight. High uh, we want to give people options. Very <laughs> exactly. nice. It's exactly. a high five. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cheese. Cheese. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Mark, thanks for being on the show today. And no, thanks uh, for having me. Uh, was really looking forward to uh, diving into this topic, and I, I just appreciate it so much. So um, what's the best way for people to get a hold of ABI Wellness? I mean, just Google it. Um, we're out there, uh, abiwellness.com. Um, you know, we're, we're interested in a lot of different um, areas of the space. Um, if you're looking, if you have a, a loved one or a friend that's in need of support, that's a, probably our biggest thing. Info at abiwellness.com. We'll try to link them up with a, with someone that could support it. It may not be us, and that's okay, uh, but we want to help. Uh, we hear from so many people really around the world that are struggling, and our our job is to try to help to make resources more accessible. Huh, me too. <laughs> that's <laughs> what I do. Yeah, I love ma- it. Making help for PTS injuries more ex- accessible. All right, Mark, stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. On average, a therapist sees 25 clients per week with acquired brain injuries. However, a traditional recovery program will only help you compensate for new physical and cognitive challenges you face. What if you're able to do more than just compensate in your recovery? Introducing ABI Wellness's groundbreaking platform, BEARS, Brain Enhance and Recovery System, designed to help you overcome your challenges through proprietary capacity building and neuroplasticity programming. Plus, your progress is digitally tracked every step with a return to work rate that is 37% higher than some traditional recovery programs and significant improvements in quality of life. There is a growing demand for our BEARS platform among people with acquired brain injuries. Find the nearest certified provider. Learn more by visiting abiwellness.com forward slash BEARS. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring. Thank you.